mighty man of God who we all know and love to minister the gospel, Dale Kane. And while I'm at it, I heard wonderful things about last Sunday, Naomi. I heard it was awesome. Praise God. I don't, who is that guy you were talking about? <laughs> wow, what an honor to be here today. Pastor knows me real well, and he did this to y'all anyway. <laughs> I got to put these on. I can't see anything. It's tough getting old, you know? Yeah, I get it there. We're working on it. Dear Lord, I got a timer. I got everything. <clears throat> I used to teach on a regular basis. And when I did, I usually started with something funny. And me and Sonny had a great relationship. Sonny moved up front because no matter how bad it was, Sonny would laugh. And that was our arrangement. <clears throat> but it's been a long time since I taught regular. So I heard that there was this guy that had this little church down in Texas. I think his name's Joel something. And he's been stealing some of my material. <laughs> so if what I'm getting ready to share with you, if you've heard it before, know where he got it from. I heard about this old 95-year-old man who wasn't feeling good, just couldn't put his finger on what the problem was. But he went to see the doctor, and the doctor gave him a checkup, and told him what he thought and gave him some directions and sent him on his way. About a week later, the doctor's downtown walking down the sidewalk and he sees this guy coming at him with a big old wide grin and a 20-something-year-old beautiful woman hooked to his arm. And the doctor ran up to him and said, hey, man, he said, you sure must be feeling a lot better than you were the other day. He said, oh, doc, he said, I feel great. He said, I'm just following your directions. You told me to find a hot mama and stay cheerful. The doctor said, I never said anything like that. He said, I said, you have a heart murmur. You need to be careful. <laughs> Listening's important, you know. It's a big deal. <laughs> oh, man. Today I want to talk about obedience. Is it a big deal? Turn to your neighbor and just ask him. Is it a big deal? Kind of depends on where, which side of obedience your chair is, maybe. Whether you're the one being obedient or the one issuing what they need to be obedient to. <clears throat> but I want to talk about three specific facts about obedience and how they impact our lives. They impact every one of our lives. First, obedience is personal. Second, you'll find that obedience is powerful. And then you're going to discover that obedience is productive. Our text today is going to be in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, the first 16 verses, but I'm not going to read all those to you. Say praise God. But to give you a little bit of a background, Ahab was the king of Israel, and they were worshiping idols. They had built a temple to Baal, and God had had enough. And so God sent Elijah to remedy the situation, it brings us to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Here's what happened. Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
Over the next several verses, you're going to see where God spoke to Elijah, told him to get out of there to go to Kareth, and that he was going to take care of him there. When the brook dried up there, he told him to go to Zarephath, and that he had a plan he was going to take care of him there. And, and Elijah did that. And we're going to dig into some of these as we get going today, but it brings me to my last two verses, verses 15 and verse 16. Verse 15 says, She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Verse 16, the jar of flour was never used up. The jug of oil never ran dry until the drought had ended, just as the Lord had spoken through Elijah. We're going to pray. Would you just stretch your hand this way that God would help me to be focused and share what he's laid in my spirit and that we would be changed by God's word today. God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to be here today. God, I thank you. God, what an honor it is to allow me to speak for you. But God, I feel the heaviness of the responsibility. Oh, God. God, I know you've given me a word. And you've promised that there's people that are here that need this word. God, help me to be laser focused. Set aside any hindrance or distraction. And don't let us leave here the way we came. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Obedience is personal. And it reminds me of a story. I have two older brothers. Dennis is seven years older than me, and Danny's ten years older than me. And growing up in our house, Dad was like the uh, Supreme Court justice. And Dad kept everything calm. And Mom, she was the lawmaker, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. <laughs> and she loved that role. Mom enjoyed scrapping with the boys. <clears throat> a couple things you need to know about mom. Sometimes she would make a rule, and it was like a moving target. Something that made mom bad today becomes a rule tomorrow, and punishment's retroactive. <laughs> Mess you up. Another thing that you need to know about mom, that anything she could get her hands on, if it wasn't too heavy, it was a weapon of correction. So on a particular day, Dennis had violated one of the rules who have no idea what it was, and it really don't matter, but mom was chasing Dennis, and I was rooting for mom. <clears throat> mom went by the kitchen and grabbed one of her favorite weapons, which she called it a bread knife, had about a 15-inch blade and a big old hunky wooden handle. And she could take that and whip that like a buggy whip. And she said it was a bread knife. I never did see any bread. And it was so dull, I'm not sure it could cut butter. But she was chasing Dennis. And if she could come upside you and hit you in the head with that, you would see stars for a day or two. This whole uh, concussion protocol stuff, we needed that back in the 60s down on Queen City. <laughs> not in the NFL. <laughs> but we didn't have it. So she's chasing Dennis. Dennis hits a side door. He's out in the yard. Mom's right behind him. He's running. And all of a sudden, they both realized two things they forgot. Dennis is out in the front yard. Mom's almost into the yard. And they realize mom's still in her pajamas and her house coat. Not good. Not good for the neighborhood. Secondly, they realized we had a whole crew of guys putting in a new driveway that day. And now they had all their attention. <laughs> it wasn't good. So Dennis is standing in the side yard. He was about 13 or 14 saying, please, mom, don't stab me. Mom, don't cut me. I can't come in the house till you put the knife away. 
<laughs> Mom realized her problem. She got back between the house and garage where they couldn't see her. And she did like a lot of parents. She began to motion, you know, and word things, you know, speak words that you couldn't hear, mouth the words to him. And Dennis just said, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. What she was trying to tell him, come up here where I can beat you privately, you know. <clears throat> so they just had this big standoff. And I'm going to tell you in a little bit how they resolved the standoff. But it was a big deal at our house because obedience is personal. To obey or not to obey, it's up to you. It's up to me. What am I going to do about it? Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm just going to hit some highlights here. In verse 1, Elijah obeyed God. He marched in and told Ahab what the deal was. Could you imagine me and you going to Washington and walking into the White House and say, Hey, man, you know, some of this stuff that you're promoting, God says it's an abomination. You know, God's sick of this stuff. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's not a choice. It's murder. You know? So Elijah had some courage, but he marched in and he told Ahab what God said. In verse 5, you see where Elijah obeyed God. He went to Kareth. There was the brook, and he sent the ravens to feed him. In verse 9, God said, go now and go to Zarephath. He told Elijah, I have instructed a widow woman to provide food for you. We see in verse 10 that he went to Zarephath where he encountered the widow. He saw this widow. She's gathering sticks. He asked her for a drink. Can you get me some cold water? She went to get the water and he said, by the way, bring me some bread. She stopped. She said, I don't have any bread, man. I don't have any. The only thing I have is I just got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and I'm going to go back and I'm going to fix this meal me and my son, we're going to eat that meal and we're going to die. And that's all I got. Huh. She told him her story and what was going on. But obedience is personal. She had to figure out what she was going to do. What happened? See, verse 9 tells us that God had instructed the widow woman to prepare food for Elijah. But when he got there... To the gate, there was nobody holding up a sign saying, hey, Elijah, over here, like at the airport, you know, hey, Elijah, come on over here. You don't see where she went up and said, hey, are you the guy I'm supposed to be looking for? Aren't you that prophet? Aren't you my mission? But if you look at it, Elijah contacted her. But God had spoke to her previously. But Elijah spoke to her. What happened? What happened? She was just gathering sticks, getting ready to die. I think what happened is the same thing that happens to us. Life. Here's this lady going out and gathering some sticks. Can you imagine this, parents, grandparents? Can you imagine this? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to prepare one more meal, and I'm going to watch my baby die. It's hard for me to be critical of the widow of Zarephath. When you look at her circumstances, maybe like us, when she's faced with life like that, stuff gets out of kilter. My priorities get jacked up. We forget that God spoke to us, let alone what he said. I'm reminded of something that Pastor shared in one of these classes he was talking about. He said, God is always speaking to us. We're just not always able to hear him. So she had spoke to him 
But she still had to go on with life. She still had to go on with life. Have you ever had a situation where you know what you're supposed to do? You know what's right. But the debate rages on in your mind. Or the debate rages in your spirit. I know what I'm supposed to do. God spoke to me. God talked to me like he talked to her. I know what I'm supposed to do. But what am I going to do? Because obedience is personal. What am I going to do? Look at verse 13 in chapter 17. Elijah told her, don't be afraid. Kind of jumped off the page at me. He told her to go home and do what you said you were going to do. But first, make me some bread. And check this phrase right here, very important, from what you have. And bring it to me first, then make something for you and your son. So now here's this lady. Elijah said, make this for me first. She looks at it and says, I only got enough for one. If I make this for you first, me and my son don't even get to eat one more meal. That's what her mind's telling her. That's what she's wrestling with. Make it first. Use what you have. Bring it to me. She was afraid, and Elijah could see the fear, possibly hear the fear in her voice, tell that this lady's looking to go feed one more meal and die. She knew what she was supposed to do because God had instructed her. But she was afraid. Reminded me of a couple other stories I read in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 4, you find Moses explaining to God how God had made a mistake by choosing him. <laughs> and to make a long story short, he just said, what do you got in your hand? He said, I don't have anything but this old wooden staff. And he said, cast it down. God began to show Moses what Moses had in his hand because Moses didn't really know. I'm reminded about the story in Matthew 14. Where Jesus had been speaking and the disciples were panicking because you had 5,000 men plus the women and children, maybe 15,000 people. And the disciples said, we got to feed these people. Jesus said, what do you got? Well, they got five biscuits and two small fish. And I love that story because besides that miracle, how cool would it have been to have been at the kid's house or wherever they went? with the 12 baskets of leftovers. See, I packed your lunch in a bag, and you got three people helping you carry home. That's what God does. That's what God does. Obedience is personal. It's personal. When, let me ask you this, what area of your life do you know what you should do, but fear's got you bound up in knots? If I do that, what are they going to think? Maybe my wife or my husband will think I've gone round the bend. <laughs> my wife thinks that. God love her. <laughs> Maybe you're bound in fear and you just can't get past it. I'm reminded 2 Timothy verses 1 and 7 says, The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Can I ask you this? What do you got in your hand? Do you have some flour and some oil? Maybe just a piece of wood that you call a staff or a walking stick. Maybe you got lunch. I don't know. But I challenge you today to give it to God and press 
through your fear because God always uses what you have. Don't discount what you have. Obedience is personal. You find in verse 14 what I call the promise. Elijah said to the widow lady, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Man, that's powerful. So the widow, she pushed through her fear and went and did what Elijah told her. Obedience is personal. Here's your crazy thought. When I was working on this message, (laughs) do you realize that the uh, infrastructure and the laws and all this stuff about the traffic system in the entire United States and many parts of the world is based primarily on obedience? That's why didn't people drive like that. (laughs) Based on when you come and there's nobody else on the road but you and you pull up to the traffic light and it's red at night, do you stop? Some of you can't. You, you, you ain't going to look at me now. <laughs> you at least stop for a minute so there ain't nobody coming the other way and run over you. But the whole concept, the four-way stop, you're the only guy there. Why stop? You know, what does the yellow caution light mean? It means speed up. It's fixing to turn red. But think about that. All the laws and everything about the entire infrastructure of the traffic system around the world is based primarily on us obeying what they say is the law. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Obedience is personal. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to stop? I don't know, but you find out they got a red light camera. You wish you would have. <laughs> we were on a trip, Jake and I, several years ago, and we got home and got this stuff in the mail. We found out that there were some places we were supposed to pay toll that we didn't. So, so they sent us a bill to pay the toll. And right after that, I got a, another bill from the rental car company. And they charged us an extra $10 for violating stuff in their car. <laughs> so it takes us to point number two. Obedience is powerful. Obedience is powerful. When we are obedient to God's instructions, regardless of where we get the instructions, maybe from our time in the Word, maybe from hearing the pastor, or maybe from even dropping in on a day when he says Dale's talking today. Wherever we get the Word and the instructions from, it may be just the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and says, hey, you know better. Come on. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? Whatever it is, if we're obedient, we position ourselves to experience the power of God and to fulfill our God-given purpose. pastor talked about getting me up here. He popped into my office one day, and I'll tell you this as quick as I can. He said, man, how you doing? He said, you know, you don't look like yourself. I said, well, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I got every lane of my life has kind of got a traffic jam. He said, oh, okay. He said, well, I'll pray for you about being overwhelmed, but I need to talk to you about a couple of things. Sure. He said, next year, we're planning this 100-year celebration, the biggest event in the history of our church. I would like for you and your wife to be in charge of coordinating that. <laughs> hey, race some of your stress. So I said, well, yeah, we can, we can do that. 
And then he's grinning. I had no idea where he was going. And he said, I just got one more thing. He said, you know, he said, the last week or so, he said, the Lord's had you on my heart. And he said, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, he said, I'd like for you to preach. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, no pressure. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I don't feel overwhelmed at all. <laughs> but you've had stuff like this happen. As soon as he asked me, I knew I was supposed to. But then the next week, he said, we got back together in a few days. Was the me doing like her uh, or like Moses? God, pastor came in the wrong office today. <laughs> God, I, I know this can't be me. You know, and you begin to reason that out. But then once I made up my mind that I was going to do what God said, all the rest of this stuff started to fall into place. I heard Robert Morris say, and I told him this. Didn't you hate it when somebody starts sharing a word and you want to find out if they've been riding the backseat of your car? <laughs> How do you know my stuff? Robert Morris said, you don't have anything to prove. You only have one to please. So I told him, I said, that ate me up for the last week. Not to be bragging or anything. I don't have anything to prove. You know me now. You know, if you don't know me by now, it's over. <laughs> but I got one to please. Obedience is powerful. Check it out. God did what he said he was going to do. Not only did it rain, it didn't even have any dew. God's serious about this stuff. Three and a half years, no rain, no dew. That's powerful. Verses 5 and 6, Elijah hid at Kareth, and God sent him ravens to feed him in the morning and in the evening. And we think this whole Grubhub DoorDash thing was our idea. God's thousands of years ahead of us. <laughs> Sending him meat and bread twice a day. How cool is that? <laughs> but probably my favorite part of this whole text is found in verse 15. Check it out. In verse 15, it says there was food every day for her, the widow, Elijah, and her family or household, some uh, uh, versions of the Bible say. And household, I know you can have a family of two. I'm not that crazy. But what I'm saying is the, the whole connotation of household is that there's more people. Because it includes everybody that sleeps there. You know, maybe your servants. I, I'm not saying she had a staff of servants. But I'm thinking that if you look back in the text, originally she told Elijah, I'm going to fix something for me and my son. And then just a little bit later, Elijah said, go do what you're going to do, but then prepare something for you and your son. Why didn't anybody say my family? Here's the way I look, to look at it, or I like to look at it. This is why I love this part. I believe she found some new cousins. I think she found some relatives that she had never met, never heard of, or she had forgotten. Kind of like these people when they win the lottery and they got relatives coming from other planets almost you know but it's better than the lottery because here check this out whoever came along cousins aunts uncles tree people it don't matter the word says they all ate a-l-l-all -L -L how about that don't tell me obedience ain't a big deal obedience is powerful it's they all ate. Everybody ate. 
might have had some neighbors. I don't know. I, got, it, I, I don't want to do anything contrary to the word, but it don't say it didn't. She's over there cooking for the household, and the neighbor might needed something to eat. I don't know. But I know this. Whoever came, ate, said that they all ate. Here, go with me on this. I believe they ate two meals a day. <laughs> when Elijah was in the cave at Kareth, he sent ravens morning and evening. There's no logical reason that we can come up with why God would cut Elijah's rations in half. She had just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. Now she's running a buffet. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Obedience is powerful. It's powerful. Verse 14 is the promise. But verse 16 was the proof. The jar of flour was never used up. The jug of oil never ran dry until the drought had ended, just as the Lord had spoken through Elijah. Man, obedience is powerful. Think about that. She looked in, and I don't know. I really don't think. I don't think God filled the barrel. I think every time she went back, Sonny, there was enough for whoever's eating right now. Maybe a handful, maybe three handfuls. Obedience is powerful. So I was telling you before we left my mom and my brother in this standoff. So Dennis is out there pleading. He wasn't praying. He was just pleading with mom. He'd been better off to pray. So mom finally gave up and went in the house. And as was custom to us boys, when necessary, we stayed. He stayed outside till dad got home from work. <laughs> he knew better than to come back in. So when dad got home from work, he hollered, you know, all home free. <laughs> you can come home. Our neighbors, it's hard to tell what they thought. <laughs> but Dennis came in. Dad already got in and disarmed mom. Hid, hid the knife. Dennis came in. Dad talked to him, sent him to his room, grounded him, and we all lived to scrap another day. <laughs> but obedience is powerful. Those guys that did the driveway, they never did another job in our neighborhood. <laughs> I'm telling you, power and obedience. <laughs> our last point is obedience is productive. Wow. When we're obedient, it produces good fruit, good things in our lives. Likewise, when we're disobedient, it produces as well. But there's usually unpleasant memories, results, consequences, and circumstances that are tied to the disobedience. Like the bread knife. The disobedience, we never forget it. You get with you, you ever see one of my brothers just ask them about the bread knife? They'll first they'll feel their head for not. <laughs> and then they say, Oh, yeah, I remember the bread knife. I think we threw that away when mom and dad, when mom passed away, we donated that somewhere out of memory. But obedience is productive. Check out what the Lord says in Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 5 and 6, it says, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge, or it may say it, submit to, or in all your ways obey him, and he shall direct your paths. I don't know which way to go. I'm at the four-way stop. I don't know what's going on. In all my ways, that I'll just submit to him and obey him. He'll direct my paths. That means if he's directing my paths, it doesn't matter what the GPS says. I'm going the right way. Wow. Obedience is productive. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all. I love that word. All these things shall be added to you. God dropped that scripture in my life about 20 some odd years ago. I was in sales and it's about 4.30 in the morning. I was driving to Jackson, Ohio for a sales call. And you guys have never done this. But I was having a big old pity party, you know, in the front seat of the car and whining and telling God all the mistakes he's made and how jacked up my life was. And then it's like he just slipped into the driver's seat. And he said, hey, boy, you got your priorities jacked up. Yeah, 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 I hear all that. He said, seek me first. And all. And all. Then I began to tell him back, the stuff that he was forgetting. <laughs> and he said, no, all. So can I tell you something? I've been on a 20-some-odd-year mission, and I still haven't found anything that all don't cover. <laughs> I haven't found anything that all don't cover. Whatever it is you're dealing with, submit to him. Obey him in all, all, all. This would be added to you. Check this out. If you read the rest of chapter 17, you discover that the widow's son gets sick and ultimately he dies. Do you think possibly way back when God spoke to the widow woman about feeding this prophet guy that he knew her son was going to get sick and die? Of course he did. God sees the end same time he sees the beginning. Wow. The Bible says that Elijah took the boy, and it talks about how he prayed, and God resurrected him, brought him back to life. I want to challenge you today. There's some of us that are in here today. God needs to resurrect something and bring back the life in us. What is it? God promised me there were people here today that that applies to, besides me, <laughs> you know, besides me. Obedience is productive. Her boy would have died if she hadn't obeyed. He was going to die. But she obeyed back here with something that she didn't even connect. And God said, I remember yeah, you obeyed. You obeyed. So let's do a little bit of summary of what we've learned. First, God spoke to and through Elijah, and Elijah obeyed. 
Secondly, God and Elijah spoke to the widow, and she obeyed. Obedience is personal. It's a choice. They didn't have to, but they chose to. Third, her obedience, oh, and I love this, her obedience positioned her to express, to experience, I'm sorry, to experience the power of God. Man, when you obey him, he'll put you smack dab in the middle of the right place. I've been there before. Look around and can't figure out how I got here. But I'm smack dab in the middle of God's power, his glory, and his blessing. And way back someplace that I forgot, I chose to obey. I chose to obey. Wow. Fourth, because of her obedience, the power of God anointed her and what she already had to change the world. Wow. There's somebody here under the sound of my voice. God's just waiting for you to say, here it is. This is what I got. I don't even know how to explain what I got. But I'm going to give it to you, God. And he said, good. I'm going to make you a world changer. I'm going to make you a world changer. Man. When I think of this story, and I don't know how your mind works, hopefully better than mine, uh, my wife is praising God. <clears throat> but when I think about this, the image that I get in my mind is a handful of flour and a little cruise of oil that's just got about that much for that flour. That's what the image is. But we're going to put a little illustration on the screen here that's going to change. See, there was 365 days in a year, and it took three years. It's 1,095 days. Two meals a day, if we can agree to that. God didn't cut their rations in half. That's 2,190 meals times three people. I'm using conservative numbers. I'm not even allowing for the household yet. That's 6,570 meals. I'll never look at that scripture the same. 6,570 meals. Maybe she had five more relatives. You know, for each relative she added, it's an additional 730 meals. If she had five more relatives that showed up, or neighbors, that was over 10,000 meals. And every time she fed 6,000, 10,000, how many thousand? Went back and got a handful. <laughs> Man, obedience is powerful. I went back and got a handful. I don't got to go get what you have. I don't got to go get what the guy down the road has. I just got to be obedient. And God says, here, take what you have and let me anoint that. And we can change the world. See, God can change the world, but he'll let you and I go along for the ride. How cool is that? Here's what I know. The flour was never used up, and the oil never ran dry. Oh, man. Obedience. It's personal. It's powerful. And it's productive. I'm going to close with a kind of a personal story. Many of you in here knew my dad, who was a kind, gentleman, man of God. My dad worked 36 years. This is so cool. 36 years for the same company, and he blew his back out and had to retire on a disability way, way, way before he had planned to. So I told you I had two brothers. We called a family meeting of three 
and said, we need to figure out how to help dad and mom. He has no income. Eventually, they'll work out this workman's comp stuff, and they'll figure all this out. But until then, we need to figure out how to help them. We're trying to figure it out. <laughs> but see, my parents were givers. They paid their tithe all my life. Not only did they give of their finances, they gave of themselves. They poured themselves into people. They changed lives for all eternity. So we thought God needed our help, but God was working on what the enemy meant for our defeat and was getting ready to flip it on its head and was going to teach the Cain family one more lesson. So one day, while all that stuff's in process, Dad got a check in the mail for 250 bucks from the company he'd had to retire from. So Dad didn't think it was right. So he called and said, hey, what's the deal? I got 250 bucks. I don't think it's mine. I don't want to cash this. I wouldn't take nothing that doesn't belong to me. She said, oh, Ernie, let me look. Yep, yep. 36 years ago, right after you got out of the World War II Army in your early 20s, you were filling out this paperwork, and on one of these pages back here, you checked this box. And by checking that box, it qualifies you for $250 a month for the rest of your life. <laughs> for the rest of your life. 250 bucks, not a big deal. You can't live on it. You know what that ended up adding up to? $108,000. <laughs> 250 bucks. Turned into $108,000. When everything was settled and worked out and they figured out what dad was entitled to, dad made more money every year after he retired than he did any year that he worked. My parents were obedient with their giving. God rebuked the devourer. <laughs> he poured out blessings, and he blessed them. This whole thing, obedience, I kind of think it is a big deal. But it's our choice. What are we going to do with it? Hopefully everybody, when you came in, got one of these. And or hopefully a pen, or you can borrow your neighbor's pen. As we get ready to close. First, I want you to just write today's date on that paper. 11-27-22. Now, if you would, just bow your head with me for a moment. Can I ask you a question? Can God ask you a question and just use me to make it make noise? In what area or circumstance do you need to be obedient? What is God speaking to you? Maybe it's repent. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. It's as simple as ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that he died for you and ask him to come in and become the savior of your life. Maybe you need to be obedient with forgiveness, forgiving someone. Maybe you thought you had that all taken care of, and then they showed up at Thanksgiving and jacked you up again. Maybe it's in your finances. 
for your giving. Here's one for you. Maybe it's in your groceries in the day and age in which we live, and you can go and spend $100 and carry it out in your pocket. Maybe there's somebody in the church or in your family or in your neighborhood that God wants you to go by and get them some groceries and drop them off on the porch. Maybe you need to get plugged in and serve. Maybe you want to be trained to be a host or to be a leader for a small group. God's been dealing with you about it, but you're saying to God, you got the wrong number. Kind of like I tried to tell the pastor, Pastor, you dropped out of the wrong office. Maybe it's about a relationship that you're in. And God says, run, get away. Don't go back. Don't ever go back. And you need to be obedient. Maybe it's about your personal relationship with God, the time that you spend with him, or the time that you spend in prayer or meditating, reading, studying his word. Whatever that is, I want you to write that on your paper. You don't have to write it all out. You don't want somebody else to read it. Just write a code word. Put a number. Put a symbol. I don't care what you put, but you know what it means, and so does God. And that's all that matters. Something that God's dealing with you about. Then what I want you to do is I want you to take this paper. When you leave here today, I want you to put it in your wallet, in your phone case, your purse, hang it on your visor, use it for a bookmark in your Bible, whatever, wherever, you need to put this so that you'll see it on a regular basis. And what it's going to do, it's going to be a monument for you. It's going to be the line in the sand or the rock out of the middle of the Jordan River. And you can look at that and say, hey, uh-uh, no, I already submitted that. I'm walking in obedience there. That's not my problem anymore. Devil, you're a liar, father of lies. It'll be a reminder to tell you that you're now walking in obedience and you are positioned. Oh, check this out. Because of your obedience today, you are positioned to experience God's power and God wants to use you to change the world. If you'll stand, we'll pray. If you feel like that you would like for somebody to pray with you, feel free to come forward. And there will be elders and prayer team members that will come up and slip behind you and pray with you. Or you can pray at your seat. But don't take this lightly. Don't dismiss this because it was an unlikely speaker today. Take this for what God meant it to be. There's something in your life that God says, be obedient. Submit this to me. God, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, because... You are here. And I thank you, God, because I believe you spoke to everyone under the sound of my voice today. And I thank you, God, for allowing me to participate. (laughs) 
Oh God. God, I choose to be obedient and I want to experience your power. And I want you to use me in my circle of influence to change the world just simply because I chose to obey. God, let every one of us leave here today different than the way we came. Amen. If anybody wants prayer, if you come forward, we'll pray with you. God bless you. Why don't you just do that right now with your eyes closed and nobody looking around? Why don't you just throw your hands up? You know, I don't have to speak your language. 
to communicate, I surrender. If I throw my hands up, that's telling you, I, I'm surrender. I'm done. Why don't you do that to the Lord right now? Whatever He's communicating, whatever He's dealing with, would you just surrender right now? Come on, just throw your hands up in there. Just tell Him, I surrender. I surrender all, Lord. 